Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Josh, why has everyone got mood lighting except me? Scott. What, what's, what is this? <laughs> mood lighting is the best thing in the entire Clearly. world. And I, oh man, just for some context for this, Scott yeah. Hilford at the weekend messaged me <laughs> about how he'd finally killed off the big light. The big light. I don't know if people around the world have a big light, but in the UK, if your main living room light is on, that's the big light. Put the big light on, knock the big light off. That's the, what that is. There are, right, I, I, I have such a particular thing about lighting, right? Right, the, you really I, do. I am dominated by vibes. And those vibes are dominated by the lighting in any given room. So therefore... If we had weekend shows, mine's called The Weekend with Scott Hilbert. Yours is called Dominated by Vibe. That's that's (laughs) very easily put together. So I am of the opinion that the big light is abject and needs to be abolished. I have not used my big light willingly in about 10 years. I don't ever want to put it on under any circumstances. That's so crazy to me. Even when I'm making food. I just hate it. And I love watching all of my media in the pitch blackness. I like it to be completely dark, and I like the only source of light to be my television. Mm. Maybe I'll turn on the fairy lights that I have right. on the floor and around the telly mm-hmm. for a little bit of mood. But if I'm playing something like Dead Space, I need everything else to be dark. I need it <laughs> to be focused entirely on the TV. Uh-huh. And there are two moments in our friendship, Scott Tilford, where I've been completely baffled by your choices, <laughs> just because they are so far removed from my own personal preferences. Uh-huh. One was a few years ago when you told me you didn't adjust the brightness settings on video games because you just wanted <laughs> to be able to see. And well, I, really I, just, I trust that. I trust whatever the default is to be what it needs to be. Yeah, 100%. I'll get it wrong if I do it. And then the realization at the weekend that you have been playing games like Dead Space <laughs> with the big light on completely broke my head. And I imagine it would. I, uh, we're not remotely sponsored by Panasonic. We're genuinely not, but I did see your friend of mine, Ash Millman, sponsored post over on Instagram. Yes. And I, I started messaging her and I was just like, your setup looks awesome. How are you getting these colors where it looks better on my phone screen watching your TV than my own 1,000 pound <laughs> TV and I was like maybe the reason is that I needed to just like dim everything else in the living room and so I started messaging some friends and I was like do you guys still use big light for everything and they were like no we haven't done that for years and I was like when did everyone shift over <laughs> when did everyone start lighting their rooms with fairy lights and mood lights and all these different colored lights because I saw um for, again we're not sponsored by them but I have spent a weekend of looking into lighting I don't genuinely want people to reach out find us on social media come find us Scott Hill Josh Brown this is the wind up should have said that before but that's what this is come find us and let us know how your setups are for Please. video games Are you relying on various colored lighting in the room itself? Are you using the big light? Are you using regular white light bulbs uh, when you're playing video games? Because... Once I discovered that you can light a room with the the strip lights, and I've got I've got that big sort of pole thing that it's all purple, yeah. And I was like, Dead Space looks incredible, and I was it like, does. maybe I should go back to every single game I own at this point. I think this is kind of a generational thing because mm. when I'm back for Christmas at my parents and I suggest watching a movie, I actually don't watch movies with them right. because I don't want to watch the Banshees in a Sharon for the first time <laughs> while they have three lamps on in the room. They admittedly. <laughs> when they're settling down for the night, won't have the big light on. Right. They'll have that on during the day, perhaps. But if they're watching a movie, they'll have, like, three lamps on, mm. which is three too many for my, my I just, liking. But, like, how are you dealing with the eye strain? Because, like, even the last couple of nights when I've just, when I've been living the, the purple light life, I'm my eyes are very tired, very, very fast. Right. Like, I don't, like, I can't deal with that very long. I think I'm just, I must be just so used to it by You've now. You've evolved. Like, yeah, like, yeah. You, you mentioned eye strain, and I forgot that that was a thing that you <laughs> might get. Like, I've just been playing my video games in the dark for so long now that I must have adjusted kind of like Maybe. a bat. I, I love it though, man. Like like I said, but I am a freak. I've mentioned this before. You know, when I'm playing <laughs> video games, I don't even 
like to play it when the sun is out sometimes. I, yeah, like, that's I'm, madness. I'm not playing Dead Space while the sun is streaming in and bouncing <laughs> off the telly and, you know, causing glare. That, to me, is, an, is, is like the third circle of hell. Right. And I don't like putting the blinds down mm-hmm. or the, you know, closing the, what do you call those things? Curtains? The, curtains. Yes. Closing the curtains because then I'm like, oh, but it's light outside. It's not the right vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A prison of your own making. I really one. am. I really am. But that said, freakiness <laughs> aside, I am a complete advocate that if you are playing games, you know, do whatever you want. Do whatever makes you happy. But Just if the complete advocate, Brown Carrot. 100%. But I'm just encouraging you. If you haven't tried it before, mm. turn the big light off. Turn the big light completely off. Let me tell you, like, yeah, knocking the big light off and uh, and then re- well, I didn't really go back in and readjust some stuff. I was debating, do I then get stuck in a whole, like, black hole of changing my TV's main... Because it's, like, hierarchical. It's that like the TV settings are at the top and then the console settings are below that and then the game settings are below that. And I was like, I could be on all night changing all this stuff. I would just suggest, right, you know, if you've if you've knocked the big light off and you're getting some mood light, you know, yeah. get it how it's going to be most of the time mm. and then adjust the HDR settings via the PlayStation ah. itself. No, wait, wait, wait. Ah. Because, see, the thing is, yep. you only have to do it once. Most games today go off the PlayStation 5's internal settings so you don't have to fanny mm. about with it in the actual game itself. Mm-hmm. It'll just, you know, work. You'll do it one time to whatever lighting is in the room at this moment in time, mm-hmm. the... the the, the consistent one that you have in your house, and then you won't have to touch it. Just do it one time. But, but, but the next time I'm playing during the middle of the day, it's it'll be too dark, and I have to faff with it again. That is that is that is true. I that can't live. It, I can't do that. That's purgatorial black level hell. But the thing is, you what? were already living this life without knowing it with the big light on. Ignorance was bliss, my friend. I did. I had no idea that there was this whole. Like, I, I can access this wider spectrum of colors if I just knock big light off. I know people want us to talk about video games, but I want to talk about this. I've been thinking about it all weekend. Does yeah. this mean that what you've been watching stuff like Better Call Saul, every single Game thing, of Thrones, Big I've not been turned on. big light off in my life. Whoa. Why would I? Why wouldn't you? I want to see things the in the room. <laughs> You're talking about eye strain. In the room. Why do you want to see the toaster while you're watching the season finale? My toaster's not in my living room, is it? I don't know. I need to see what's around the room. I don't know. I just, I just, It's just default. Why wouldn't you put the light on? It's interesting that. Because when you go to like a cinema, yes. you wouldn't be like, oh, turn the big lights on, boys. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, mean? I can't see the toaster. Can't see put the, it back on. I can't see the geezer next to us. He's on his phone. <laughs> you're not wrong. The thing is, I, that's the whole thing. It's like the home cinema setup and then it's so it's like an unspoken rule. People started getting home cinema setups, right. and then they just default went. Well, there's no lights in the cinema. Less lights in the home space. Yes. I didn't do that whatsoever. I bought the big TV. I bought the sound systems. I got the fancy consoles, and I just just kept going. I didn't do the. I didn't knock the lights off. I didn't even think of that. So, I, what surprises me the most about this is I'm not curious that, where the rest of the populace is on this. Yeah, well. me too. Like, it's not that you're like a, a big light guy. It's that <laughs> I am now. You wouldn't even transfer to small lamps when it got into the <laughs> evening because that even my parents do that. And like right, I said, okay. they're big, big light advocates. Well, nothing's on during the day, and then it gets dark, you put the light on. That's it. That's all, that's the only agency light has in my life. Do you own a lamp, though, is what I'm questioning, in uh, your living no. room? Well, I have, a lamp, I have a little lamp in my bedroom. Right. But that's it. That blows That does get off. put on. Right. But that's yeah. it. I'm not putting I'm not putting the room light on later on, because that's too much. That's okay. hashtag too much. So I, I, put a little, I put a little light on. But in the main room, there is a TV, there's a big light, that's it. I am. I'm pleased you've seen this via Ash, and <laughs> I've that seen I, the haven't, light. I haven't had to try and convince you to do it myself. I'm pleased that you've come to this. Well, you wouldn't even know it was a problem. I didn't even know I, it was a thing. Well, no, you've never mentioned it. And I don't it. even know how much people. Like, I mean, that's the thing. I'll see what people come back. People, I, I don't think the average person is doing the mood lighting thing. I think the average person is just putting their light on and playing games. I don't think they're customizing their entire setup. I think you're too far gone with your like can't close the curtains, do whatever. But I don't think the average person is mood lighting their room. I'm too far gone. But <laughs> I would say, and I'm going to throw this out to the listeners: yes. the average person is not gaming with the big light on. I would hazard <laughs> to say that. And if I think again, you can do whatever the hell you want. And I, I, I would say that if the average person is gaming with the light yeah. on, we have failed as a civilization. Gaming with the big light on is my new show. Very so, good. Very good. I think I'm. I'll, I'll make a Twitter poll as is the only way I can communicate with the wider world, and we'll see what comes back. Because um, I'm very curious. But the thing, like I said, I can't get around the eye strain thing. Maybe you've done it so long that it doesn't bother you. But when I start playing with just the TV as the dominant light source, and I have I have a, a purple, I have a very, like, there's a big light pole thing behind the TV that can do different colors. I like purple. I've got that on. But then there's nothing, there's no other light sources in the room other than a bunch of fairy lights that we have clumped into a fireplace. Here's the thing, right? Instead of going completely cold turkey, mm. which admittedly might be difficult for yes. you if you've got this eye strain, yeah. why don't you start with lamps? You know, just get in, bring the lamp from upstairs, bring yeah. it downstairs, put that on, get your mood lighting on and then just slowly wean yourself off the big light. I 
know how addictive the big light can be. No, Scott. I, I don't like you know the big light. I only just got there's the light light culture podcast, but I uh, I just got a um, like a filament cover because I was just doing raw light bulb for most of my life, just and then it was only raw, just a raw light, bulb, dug right? light bulb, just full on. And then it was only very recently where I was like, this is a bit far. This this is quite this is hurting my eyes. So I got like a yellow cover thing that makes it like more sort of evening color. But I just never thought about light. It's just I need it because it's dark, so I yeah. put it on. That's right. as far as I got. In fair enough. It's just like we're, we're such opposite people. I'm realizing, <laughs> and I think that you know you're talking. My, my eyes would be strained mm. if I had the big light on all the time while I was gaming. You'd be able to see more stuff. Light. Why do I want it? That's a that's an issue. <laughs> why would I want to see more? Why would I want to see more stuff? On one hand, and two, seeing more stuff would give me eye strain because my thing, eyes are trying to focus on everything. The thing that breaks me with um, calibrating displays towards like uh, darker parts of the picture is that I'm always like, oh, is there some detail there that I'm supposed to see? Is mm-hmm. there some detail there that I could see if I just crank the brightness a little bit? And I've never, I'm never comfortable with any of that stuff because I mean, we're going to talk about games eventually, but the game I'm playing through at the minute is uh, like a Dragonishian, and that game has like so many great designs on the kimonos on the heoris on the different costumes and everything and I want to see it all I want to see the stitching I want to see every bit of that and I can't see that if I've calibrated it towards darkness there was a weird moment of acceptance I had last night when I was playing through it it was about 10-11pm and um, it's one of the parts of the game that I was in was set at sunset so I was like okay it's supposed to be darker I'm not supposed to see everything and then I was like uh, my main character went out of a room and I was like oh it's daylight out there and it's brighter out there so I haven't got it wrong this is what it's supposed to be like but I had to accept that I couldn't see everything and I was like how much of that if I just crank the brightness, I'd be able to see more. Yeah, I can't. I just can't live like this. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I am living like this, but I just. I don't. I don't know. I feel like I missed the the worldwide memo the or the Western is, world memo. You know this. what? Ultimately, do whatever you're the most comfortable with. You don't. Well, if you want to see all the detail in a scene, mm. crank that brightness up and I, see yeah. all of it. Like I think the reason my eyes are strained as well is because the backlight thing's on full. Like, yeah, probably, yeah. I, it might yeah. be that. Because it's just, it sort of is this like supernova in the corner of the room You're that's like, just burning my retinas. My, 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 my thing is, we do the same job, Scott Tilford, more true. or less every <laughs> single day. We look at screens all day. We're mm. talking all day. We go home, play video games all night. And then we're <laughs> like. Text each other as well. Yeah, text each other. We're using our phones, bright lights on the phones. And then we're wondering, oh, why is our eyes hurting? Yeah, you're not wrong. Where's well, yours aren't, though. You're, you've, you've adapted to this. Whereas, like, I mean, when I was a kid, and obviously your parents like, don't sit too close to the TV, don't be gaming all day long. Yeah. And young me was like, ah, whatever, dad, I'm completely fine. And I was completely fine. I've still never needed glasses so far or any um, surgery or anything. So I was like, oh, maybe I've adapted, maybe I've evolved for this. I wouldn't but, say mind. Uh, no, I mind think you. that, you know, you, I'm, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but yes. when you have a day off on Wednesday and stuff, mm-hmm. it feels like you play video games for a longer stints than I do. Like I said, oh, it's I all often day. wait until the nighttime so I can play it in the peak lighting conditions. <laughs> when I do have those days where I just play, you know, all of a Saturday, mm-hmm. all of a Sunday, the eye strain comes into play. Yeah, I there feel is awful and I need to take a break. Mine's <laughs> just like if I'm putting on a game later on at nighttime and I do the whole knock the light off, just have the mood lighting thing on. I've only done that for the last two days of my life. This breaks me. But recently, that was the whole thing where I was like, oh, okay, almost immediately I'm I'm tired. Almost immediately, I can feel the eye strain. Maybe that's a backlight problem or whatever. But the idea that the TV is the main source of light in the room is something I'm very new to. And obviously, yeah. there are other smaller light sources, like a little bit of stri- a strip light or a little mood light or whatever. That's what I'm curious about from the average person. Is, is, the, is the TV your main light I, going forward? I, I would maybe guess that that's not the case. But I do think mood lighting is in. Like I said, I really do think anecdotally that it's a generational thing. You know, our mm. parents loved having a lot of life and light in their room. Mm-hmm. And now I think you look online mood lightings in, you know, you look Mm. at Twitch streamers who have so much mood lighting in the background of their scenes, Mm -hmm. like all of those strip lights, like you mentioned. And I think that's quite, I think that's the new normal. I think what it reminds me of when we had that giant Fast and the Furious boom and everyone wanted neon lights under their cars in like 2002. That was great. And it was on that, it it feels exactly like that. Oh, I could strip like that. Because I was like, I was looking at my, uh, in my living room and I was like, oh, there's like a, like a curve. And I was like, I could put a light round there. Yeah. And it'll look, I think the key is you want to have light, but you don't know where it's coming from. You just want to have like, lights emitting from places. I don't actually see the source of the light, right. just the, the sort of scattering of it across a wall or something. That's that's an interesting thing. I like to see the fairy lights. You know oh, what I mean? Okay. Again, we'll, we'll wrap this very soon, but I like to see the fairy lights. And I would I'm, say talking, that. I'm talking strip lights, like what you put behind a TV. Like if you put them along like a mantelpiece and then they're sort of like a top of a fireplace, then they're sort of lighting the wall. Yeah. You don't see the top because you're sat down. Uh, that's not for me. That's mm. not for me personally. I always looked into, you know, similar to strip lights, mm. the stuff that you put on the back of your television that syncs to your television mm. and changes color depending on what's oh on God, screen. Yeah. I always thought they looked really sick. They're just a little bit too expensive. Mm-hmm. But I've got a lot of friends who bought into that and said it really rules and everything looks really cool. So I want to get that one day. But otherwise, I'm a, I'm a fairy light man. I like, <laughs> I like having the little fairy lights out. Goes across my television, goes across uh, the floor next to me, lights the floor 
bounces it up. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. Okay, okay. Yeah, we, we've got fairy lights too, but we put them in the fireplace so it looks like the fireplace is on like without that. it being on. Yeah. And that's quite a nice idea. Anyway, this is a video game podcast. I maintain all of that was integral to video games, especially the state of gaming today. Um, and I do want to know what people's home setups are and whether they've given in to the mood lighting craze. Because I realized not to go on about it again. <laughs> We're back. But I realized when I was doing all the shopping for this, because I was like, okay, I've, I've clearly missed a boat somewhere. Let me swim and catch up. I was looking up all the different light options that are now available to me, and there are absolutely tons. Yeah. And Philips, again, we're not sponsored by them, um, but Philips have a whole range called Hue, where they yes. do a whole bunch of range light, uh, colored light bulbs and everything else. Oh, just, they're doing it. It's a yeah. whole thing. I just, I, like I said, it's a boat. I've missed it. I'm swimming. You are, and I'm you know what? Up. I'm pleased that you've at least realized that there is a boat at this moment <laughs> in time, because I like knowing that you've been living your life. Me sat on an island with a single light on, yeah, going, on this, I can see everything. Don't even, island. don't worry about Illuminated it. Illuminated so much that you can see it from <laughs> the equator is uh, has, has, has blown me away. And he was happy. He was a happy man. <laughs> he was. He's, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't want to think about it, but I'm thinking about all the games that you've played like that, you know, <laughs> The Last of Us, uh, Bloody Dead Space, yeah. all of these great, lovely My entire life games. has been played in light. What so in in uh, playing Resident Evil two like that, Resident Evil eight like that, Resident Evil within, seven, Evil within, Dead Space, Dead the entire Space. Dead Space trilogy, God of War. Oh, I, what hurts the most? What? Last thing I'll say about it: the idea of you booting up one of my favorite horror games, Visage, yes. and playing it with the big light yeah. on, is almost uh, enough to make me quit right and now. It's almost, <laughs> it's almost like the darkness on the screen isn't like proper black levels on pitch black. It's like that weird sort of lighted black <clears> because you've got like a light on, Great. and it's just like, yeah, this is good. Good. Good contrast, this, mm-hmm. for a horror game. Love that. Um, anyway, speaking of video games, um, yes, yeah, so I've been playing through Like a Dragon Ishin. Didn't realize that game had a early access period. If you paid five pounds more, um, you could play it, or five dollars more, or whatever. You could play it from Friday instead of waiting until today on the Monday. And I was like, well, I'm a large, humongous Yakuza slash Like a Dragon fan. Of course. So I bought the F in, and I played Ishin across the uh, the weekend. I've done about, I think it's about 12, 14 hours-ish. Um, my completion percentage is only like 2% or something, because um, that game is massive. Um, but I feel like this is your going to be your first first Yakuza slash Like a Dragon game, I believe. Yes, it is. I'm, I'm really looking forward it. to it. I was I was really jealous of everyone jumping in over the weekend, so you good. included, uh, because I'm really looking forward to it, and the only reason that I've had to put it off is because mm. there's £500 coming out my bank account for the PSVR <laughs> in a few days, <laughs> and unfortunately, the money does not extend to that's the actually, new uh, insane like a week. Game. Like, we've got Ishim, we've got Atomic Heart, we've got PSVR 2. Yeah. Like, that's all just arriving. Like, someone it's tipping a bucket out over a us. a big week. But my big question yes. about uh, Ishim Scott Tailford is... Recently, as you will know, I got uh, Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core, which <laughs> I was did. really looking forward to. And that was a remake of an older game, admittedly a PSP <laughs> game. And its oldness and its archaicness ultimately put me off and I traded it in. Mm. I don't want this to happen to Ishin. So how much dated stuff am I going to have to The thing that I think a lot of people will bounce off is the combat. Um, right. I think the combat takes quite a while to give you the basics to have like more fun with it. Um, it's a weird thing with Yakuza because I'll just refer to it as Yakuza as the overall IP. I know it's always been like a dragon in Japan, um, or at least it's, it's become like a dragon over time. This is the first one with the branding in the West. Um, I feel like over the years, for me, they've never had a perfect combat model. They've always had different approaches to various canned animations, various moves that let you cancel out of an attack and dodge or evade or parry. Um, and usually you would unlock those things over time. And then I feel like as we moved forward, it was the Judgment Side series that finally got that stuff right, where everything was way more, um, you know, like you everything was way more reacting to you in the moment and you could kick off the walls or like you could just do way more stuff in Judgment. It was still based on the same engine uh, or model, but it would, it still had just more to it. This, just because it is a remake of a game from, I think it's like 2007 or 8 or something. It's, it's an older Yakuza game right? because um, it was originally released in Japan, never came over to the West. And it has been overhauled in regards to the uh, the visuals, especially. Like, the game looks gorgeous. Like, oh my God, it looks stunning. Um, and especially the faces and everything. But the combat model is almost like old Yakuza. It hasn't really been updated like a Judgment or um, like Lost Judgment, like the sequel. Um, they're still fun to be had. Um, and you know, you're doing like, you know, fun little chunky melee combos and stuff. But for me, I mean, there's only one of the four styles you can switch to that lets you evade out of an animation. Mm. And I almost, and maybe it's just a subjective thing, but I like almost need that in an action game, especially if you're cranking up how much damage an enemy can do. If someone can put you in a stunned state or something. And um, if I can see that attack coming in and I can't get out of it because I've like, even if, if I commit to a sword swing and then someone starts their attack, but it's faster, yeah. I want to react to that in the moment. And I'm fast enough to, to, to see it.
it. You can see it coming in. But I hate just being like, well, I'm going to get hit by that. It just doesn't feel good. And um, some of the older Yakuza games, when you would have a certain amount of combos done on you, um, Kiryu, who is the original protagonist, um, would just sort of fall to his knees and fall over and get back up and get hit again, fall to his knees and fall over. And it was just, I always just found that really annoying. And so you do always get enough abilities over time where you can you can hang in those group fights a lot more comfortably and you can pull off all the fancy moves and everything. I feel like the ramp up in Ishin is longer. And so I think um, it just feels quite clunky at the beginning. And it yeah. was one of those things where you don't realize how far the Judgment Games came and how far even Yakuza 6 uh, did uh, come because they're just so much more fluid and you can have a lot of fun with this. But I feel like the one thing that feels old is the combat. Um, and it's, yeah, that would be the thing that I think might people might just bounce off. How out of my depth am I going to be with this game, jumping in it as my first Yakuza game? Not whatsoever. Game. This, thing this, is, this, thing okay. is, oh, this thing is a beautiful first installment. Ooh. Like, because it's so cool because the whole idea with this game is you take a cast of characters, you know, obviously in the uh, modern games, you have Kazuma Kiryu, who's the main character. You have uh, Goro Majima, who's like his like sort of villain, his nemesis, whatever. Um, and you just take that. It's almost like I, I watched a little bit of Rahul Kohli and Alana Pierce's stream because they reacted to the beginning of it. And uh, Rahul referred to it as almost getting those actors back to play like those characters in a completely different time frame right. because this one's set in the 1860s um, so it's like old school Japan kind of thing but you have the face of Kazuma Kiryu, you have Majima but they have different names but their um, their general character traits are still there like still has the honourable feel to him Majima's still this ridiculous over the top Joker style villain where his is just covered in blood all the time because he's <laughs> always in fights and whatever and I think that stuff is just so well done and obviously I get a kick out of seeing the reimaginings of those characters but I think if you just came in fresh um, the tone is perfect like it's really well written the story's brilliant that's the, that's the driving force um, the story's really really cool um, just this whole idea of like what's best for Japan and this yeah. idea at the time of um, is it like going down a political uh, sphere in terms of improving the country or is it should it be more that up to the samurai and the ronin and all these other factions and is, is violence the way that we have reform and all those kind of things um, done through a campy almost Metal Gear style tone which is right. why I fell in love with Yakuza anyway um, so I think I highly highly recommend it I just think that the the combat kind of knocked me for a little bit where I was like, man, I've not played an old game in this yeah. feel um, in quite some time. And I also, because I had the pre-order, um, it gives you loads of um, crafting components and things to use. It also gives you uh, a bunch of um, like leveling up points. Um, and so you can kind of you can kind of bypass a lot of the grind, which I was feeling until I redeemed those things. And then I jumped forward a few moves. Okay, now I can parry in a combo. Now I can do these other things. So yeah, it's, it's weird because I think that a lot of people love that old school feel. Yes. Um, and I do to a degree, but I always thought the combat was ironically one of the weakest parts of old Yakuza's. It was just the thing that I put up with for the everything else because the sense of place is incredible. All the, f all the food is like era accurate. Yeah. All the costumes look incredible. The environments, the characters, the story. It's, yeah, I think, you, I think you'll have a lot of fun, but um, just know that the combat takes a beat that's before fair. it gets there. I think it looks beautiful, like you yeah, said. Man. That's part of the reason why I want to jump in. It just looks absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. The story I know absolutely nothing about, but right. you saying that it's really good has made me interested, and I've always wanted to get on this franchise in some way, and I've, I've talked how many times, how many false promises have I made to you <laughs> over the years that this is going to be my first game of this mm -hmm. type. I'm going to jump into Judgment. I'm going to jump into Yakuza 0. I'm going to jump into Yakuza 6. Never happened. I swear this is the one. <laughs> this absolutely is the one. It's not going to be right now. Right. But before the year is out, I'm playing this game because I'm really looking forward to it. I think, yeah, there's a lot to, like, there is a lot to love. I think there's a, this, the Yakuza series or Like a Dragon series and the Persona games have the same kind of feel of being like social sims or life sims where it's like just enjoy the space you're in. And there are loads of, you know, um, like foods to eat, restaurants to dine in. There's loads of different places you can drink at. They give you buffs to your combat and everything. Loads of mini games. Um, and so that's a whole part of the appeal is just go live in this slice of Japan for a bit yeah. um, and enjoy it. And obviously the games that are set in um, uh, Kabukicho and everything, you can have more fun in, in that feel. And it's fun seeing them translate those things across. Like how do they replicate the feel of um, like a big bustling city in a place that was far less, had way less commerce to it. So like, yeah, I think that um, it's you'll either know that it's for you or not after a couple hours. I think um, they almost immediately throw loads of things at you in yeah. regards to how interactive the, uh, the map is, but they don't give you a really great story hook for a couple hours and um, give you bits and pieces and then it's only really after that that things sort of kick into high gear and it's like okay I want to see how this goes I'll say right everything yeah. that you've said there sounds really promising mm. by the sounds of it I think I'll be able to put up with the combat in mm. that short term with the promise that it will get there in the end mm -hmm. the thing that I worry about and the thing that ultimately put me off the other games in this series mm -hmm. is the length 
because I always wanted they to play beastie, they're, they're big. Judgment, but every single time I go into How Long to Beat and see that 40-hour number, it puts me off a little <laughs> bit. And you taught me before we started recording that you've played like 10, 12 hours yep. and a, a point something of a percentage. Yeah, it's like barely scratched the surface. Yeah. But I, that overall percentage count will be for, because um, every uh, minigame has its own rank-up thing. There's a whole bunch of different social systems in regards to NPCs and how well you know them and the rewards they give you. Um, if it's anything like the other Yakuza games, then befriending NPCs will give you different finishes in combat because um, in the other games when you would uh, have a fight outside of someone you know maybe they'll throw you a weapon or they'll throw you like um, like a, a meat skewer that you can then hit someone with or something so um, but that's all part of the overall completion um, you are right though that the, the, the main game stories are about 40-ish hours and that's that's a conservative estimate like yes. I mean there's a lot to do in these games um, they are very much designed to be lived in for a good chunk of your a few months basically and yeah. um, that's why I love them so much but I know what you mean I think that for me I've always said that um, Judgment 1 is a, is a really good one to go with Lost Judgment's brilliant too, but it, it gives away what happens in one. Right. Um, but the Judgment side series is great. Yakuza Zero is great. And I think this is a great um, starting point too. I just do have a bit of a hang up on the combat, but I'm curious to have those conversations with people and see if they bounced off it a little bit too. Because mm. um, you get like four um, styles. So it's like either like single sword, single pistol, um, or wild dancer, which lets you have like uh, sword combos on square and pistol shots on triangle. Sounds great. Um, that's fun. And that's the only one where you can evade out of a combo. Um, so you can, and the, the, the evade is like a pirouette, so you can you literally dance around people, like hacking them up to bits and everything, um, but you don't have access to some of the better parries, and you don't have access to some of the better, um, like just different counter moves and, and moving enemies around like you do if you're barehanded. Um, so there's all that stuff. I think there's there's options to get used to, but um, yeah, just, just know that it's an on-ramp, I guess. Yeah. But I think it's a great one to start with. Um, you've been playing a bit of Battlefield 2042, the resurrected game. Oh, I have, man. I've really been excited to talk about this because mm -hmm. they've made so many changes to Battlefield 2042. Obviously, right. it had the launch where it came out and it was nowhere near as good as it could have been. Like I've said before, I still really enjoyed it at launch, mm -hmm. putting like 60 hours in the first few <laughs> months. And I thought there was something there and it was just going to take time for it to properly become a Battlefield game. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I'm pleased to say it's final. Is it actually final? Now. Okay, okay. We're just on the precipice of season four, I think, that comes out in about nine days oh but throughout season three uh, they made a lot of interesting changes not only have they added you know a bunch of new maps a bunch of uh, tweaks to modes and stuff but they recently reinstated the class system from the uh, old battlefield games before in battlefield 2042 they changed it to individual specialists kind of going for a rainbow six style or an overwatch style hero system where mm. each specialist had their own individual gadget that's been scrapped in favor of the classic class system where you have now you, know, you have your support, you have your healers, you have your medics, you have your engineers, mm -hmm. all of that stuff that all share similar gadgets, and that's meant that you go into the game now, and there's so much more teamwork. <laughs> you will actually get revived now, which is exciting, because okay. there's a lot more people playing as medic characters who are, you know, really eager to pick you up when mm. you go down, and the new Exodus Conquest mode that they've added, which has been in the game for a while, but just feels better now with the classes, mm. absolutely rules, and gives you that classic Battlefield vibe of everyone working together to take these points, everyone playing as, you know, individual approaches to whether they want to be offensive or whether they want to be defensive, mm. whether, they, whether they want to give you support, whether they want to focus on vehicles and stuff, and throwing in the remastered versions of all the Battlefield maps from right. Bad Company 2, Battlefield 3, Battlefield 4, whatever, just makes the game feel so much more robust than it used to be, and even when I was enjoying the game, I never liked Conquest. It was right. always breakthrough for me, and now... Conquest is so good. <laughs> That's all I've been playing all weekend. The gunplay feels great. They've tweaked that as well. That's it's good. just in a really, a really good state. And I think if you kind of held off, perhaps rightfully so, mm. at launch, and you love Battlefield, now is the time to jump in. How how long are we from launch? Are we a year? We are a year and about four months. Was it a 2021 out? game? It was a 2021 game. It oh my god! Was. November 2021, I think. Was That's when it first insane. Came out. So it's, it's taken them a long time to God, get in my there, head, all the, this morning when you were saying you've been playing it, I was like, oh, that's cool. They fixed it a few months after, but no, the whole no. a whole year <laughs> happened. In, uh, I want to add, like, it's it's been in a good playable state for a long time mm. now. I was playing it last year, you know, around Christmas time, and it was good. It's just with the end of this season, man. It's just it's gone from being good to mm. genuinely great, in my opinion. That's and cool. That's where it's got. And I, it, a lot of people might just say, you know what, two 
too little, too late, mm. and that's totally fair enough. But if you hadn't played it, I think it's a really good time to jump in. I'm very curious because I, yeah, I played the early access. It was the uh, the Xbox. You had five hours or something back yeah. at launch. So I, I did about well, it wasn't that much, a couple hours, three hours of that. And I was like, there's so much promise here. And I remember the run up to it. I was like, I was so looking forward to that game. And then it was just so buggy. It was all over the place. All the different weird approaches to the like hero characters that you could have. I just didn't feel very confident. No scoreboard, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it feels like obviously they've they've ticked all the necessary boxes. They put the scoreboard stuff back in. Um, but then going out their way to encourage teamwork or make sure that that is an integral part of it is part of Battlefield's DNA. Like, it does need to feel like you're a whole team advancing forward. Totally. And so, like, that's that's really cool. That's promising. That's It's just so crazy that it took this long. Oh, you wouldn't like, that's ludicrous. It, like I said, you shouldn't be praised necessarily too much because no. it's like, oh, this Battlefield game finally feels like Battlefield. Maybe it should have <laughs> been like that a year and four months ago. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, it's I am genuinely surprised that they've stuck with it for so long. Like, the fact that we mm. have seasons to come. They are continuing to support the game. Mm-hmm. They could have just cut and run and focused on the next title, but I do think some kudos should be thrown their way for like sticking with it, listening to player mm. feedback, even if it has taken a long time. It's such a weird, weird thing, isn't it? Like in regards to you know being a gamer, being someone who plays a lot of video games over time, you'll you'll come across something that is just absolutely, to borrow a phrase from Jeff Gersman, DOA broken. Right. Absolutely just stupid, stupidly dumbly broken. And then you put up with it. for like You try it, you try and find the good part, you get through it. Maybe the f- I remember going through Sable. The frame rate was atrocious, but God, I still yeah. loved that game. Mm-hmm. And obviously that game is way more smoothed over now. And it, it's always that thing where something like this Battlefield happens and you're happy that it's got there because you almost have that residual carryover of how excited you were at launch and you don't want to give them that yeah. because they can't they can't keep getting away with this. Yeah. And it's <laughs> one of those things where, um, again, <laughs> to go break it back. And it's just that thing of like, I am excited to try this again because it almost feels like a, a new game again. Yes, um, But it's what a weird mind F that is. Um, so much time elapsed and so many stumbles. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing happened with Battlefront 2. Not for this long, but still, uh, well, maybe this long. It, it did take me a long time to gut that game. But it, do you have the same kind of feeling where you're like, I am just excited about this now? Yeah, it but is. You like, almost shouldn't be, but you are. It is. You know, it's, it's been it's been a long time since launch. And like I said, I, it, I'm 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 in a different position slightly because I it wasn't like a Battlefront 2 situation where mm. I swore it off. You know, I was still playing Battlefield 2042 at launch mm-hmm. and still enjoying it. Like I said, I think it's gone from a good game with a lot of flaws to a great game now so it's not like it's it was a complete four out of ten three out of ten to like now an eight out of ten mm. or anything like that it's, mm. but still i i am excited for it and it's just man what is dice doing because <laughs> like you said there battlefront 2 had a similar thing battlefield 4 had a similar thing battlefield mm. 5 had a similar thing why do they keep releasing games only to have to spend the next year and a half saving them because they all get there in the end they all do yeah but it sucks for fans it sucks for new players coming into the franchise mm. because just spend that extra time spend that extra year fine-tuning maybe have more betas invite mm. more people to play it get the stuff you need to make the games as good as they are now at launch because you can't keep getting away with it like one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com quality sleep is essential That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates Fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Is it? But it's at the games, they are always so impressive. Like, DICE do have some of the best tech in the game. Like, it is, it, <clears throat> those games are always so phenomenal, and it, like, uh, visually. And it, it is one of those things where when you think back, like you said, it's like almost everyone had some cataclysmic failure yeah. at launch. And I have to imagine that that is either EA's, you know, someone at the top is appeasing shareholders. It's just going, okay, we can release this in, in this financial window. It's playable enough. Yes. And we'll just get there later. And we'll just, and they gamble with the fan base. Like, how many people will stick around? Okay, I think we can do this again. Just get it out the door and we'll fix it later. And a lot of people do subsist on, you know, these updates are coming, this fix is coming. Yeah. And there's that weird thing, um, that whole quote of like, you know, a, a bad game is forever bad, a broken game is fixed, whatever the hell that. I've absolutely butchered that, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Things get fixed over time. And I think that there's, there's, it's weird. They rely on that. It's yeah. just sort of like, oh, you can get you can get a fan base excited for the for the fix that's coming. It's like, no, we already paid for this. Yeah, it should be ready at launch. And it's funny the way the the fan base works. You know, I'm I'm guilty of this as anyone <laughs> else, but I remember when the launch of Battlefield 2042 came out and people were rightfully mm. pissed off uh, for certain aspects that they got wrong. Mm. But it was funny seeing like the kind of revisionist history uh, in terms of Battlefield Five and how that was responded to because mm. you know people were playing 2042 saying, but they were, they got it so well with Battlefield. <laughs> Five. Battlefield <laughs> Five is so enjoyable. Why? So where were you this? back then? And it's like, no. When Battlefield Five came out, it was the exact same response. People <laughs> were doing the exact same thing, saying, "Oh, what about Battlefield 4? You go back to Battlefield Four. Uh-huh. That was the same thing. The servers <laughs> weren't working. You know what I mean? And I remember Four being like that was one where they had that live uh, event tracker thing on the website. Yes, and it was just like there was just so many. But that was when the entire populace was the bug team. Yeah, um, just reporting stuff. Oh my god, that when you think about it, the trajectory of Battlefield over the years, like that, the most recent few years. Those were some ridiculously, like, r- ridiculous launch states for those games. Nuts, man. And it's, it's, it's like, who is to blame? Is it the DICE team? You would think that they would have more experience and expertise mm-hmm. right now and be able to launch a game. Is it EA trying to meddle too much with the franchise DNA, trying to make it more like an Overwatch, mm-hmm. make it more like a more popular mainstream shooter? Mm-hmm. Is it them trying to push the deadlines? Like, we just don't know, but it's, it's got to be due a kind of Jason Schreier, like, like deep dive into the what's going on with that studio over the past decade because Battlefield as a name was doing so well mm. with Battlefield 3. You know, it was a genuine COD contender. Yeah. And now you look at Battlefield 5, you look at 2042, great games eventually, but it just doesn't have that same cultural cachet no. as, you know, a lot of the other shooters on the market, which is a shame because it should be huge. What is it with EA and mishandling first-person shooter franchises, Scott Taylor? I don't, that's the thing, I can only fall back on they can make more money if they say yes to the release date for this release date and just yeah. kick it out the door and fix it later because a lot of big, the bigger companies have just accepted that fix it later is just part of the dev cycle, um, which just sucks for the most part. I completely blanked on just when you were saying about the, it being a Call of Duty contender because they always, they still are largely mentioned in the same breath. I forgot that I played X Defiant. That's how forgettable that game was. <laughs> I, uh, I had early access to X Defiant, which I only did a few matches in and I was like, this is atrocious. Right. Um, I had a lot of people liking it in terms of it just being so similar to Call of Duty. It literally is Call of Duty on one hand, Overwatch on the other hand, mesh those things together. You literally have X Defiant. Um, I just didn't find it to be that fun gun-wise. I just didn't find the handling to be that fun. I think it's hard for a game to enter that space and come up against some of the best feeling Call of Duty of all time. Like yes. The most recent Modern Warfares are outstanding when it comes to just raw gameplay. Um, and for me, X Defiant was just overly twitchy. Like even if you like, even the default settings, faffing with the sensitivity, just didn't feel good. Getting a beat on a player just didn't feel good. Moving around and playing it, popping off the different powers and stuff. It's cool that you can play as one of the third echelon spies, mm. and then one of your abilities uh, from Splinter Cell, one of your abilities is just to cloak and go around a player. Cool ideas of stuff, but it just feels so almost forespoken style. It's like, well, this fan base are like this, this fan base are like this. It's like there's no defining thing for that project itself. It's just various other. Uh, it's, I, I'm gonna keep referring to this. We just did this in the news, like a chat GPT game. Yeah. It's like if you fed it, what's the most popular first person shooter possible? It would be that, but it would be wrong. And it's like, it's just a, it's a weird thing. I'll see how things shake out over time, but they did do an open beta, uh, sorry, an open um, play test or whatever it was across the weekend. Um, and it was quite telling that of 50 potential codes to, to re- uh, request, I got one first time. Right. Like, and that was hours after it was available. So I, if they can't even attract 50 people, and obviously it's still match made well enough, but it's still quite telling as to where the, the general um, anticipation is for that game. Honestly, honestly, you told me that you got, you know, one of these beta codes <laughs> and I thought the game had came, it already arrived 
arrived right. six months ago. I thought it came and went, but that was Hyperscape or whatever. The, the other, other one. Battle yeah. Royale that Ubisoft put out was. That was like, I don't know. Yeah, they shut that thing down. Yeah. Are they shutting it down? I, I don't know. Ubisoft's various. Is it this? Is this the thing? It's, this like, is, it's ridiculous. We mentioned this in the news as well earlier about, you know, these new IPs coming out, but no one cares because no. they just play like franchise games that we already know and love anyway. Mm. So the idea that they're a new IP in itself is almost meaningless because, yeah. yes, it is. Literally, you've got, you know, maybe some new characters, maybe a new name, but everything you're doing is familiar, overly so. A, de- the, a decade's worth of familiar. That's yeah. it, a decade's worth of familiar and not good enough to topple the stuff that it's reminding you of. Totally. It's um, But yeah, so that was just to quickly throw that in because I forgot that thing existed, uh, even though I played it. Um, you also mentioned you played a bit of Warzone. Yes. Cheeky, cheeky little bit of Warzone. Just quickly on this one because uh-huh. Season 2 has just dropped and they made some changes to the core Warzone experience. They've added a new resurgence map, uh, a smaller Warzone map for quicker PvP uh, kind of encounters, okay. shorter game modes, less looting, more action essentially. And I know people loved the version of that in Warzone 1, which was called Rebirth Island. They've added that in now. Mm-hmm. They've changed some of the mechanics to make it faster a little again, again a little bit more like Warzone 1. And it's just an, an, another game that's in a really good space right now, uh. I think. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh. I like the updates that they've added. And I've actually tried out DMZ more or less for the first time. I okay. dabbled with it at launch, but bounced off it. It just wasn't my thing. It was a little bit overwhelming. What's, what's DMZ? Doing? DMZ, I was about to say, Scott Tilford. Sorry. It's an extraction-based mode, okay. right? So you can either play it solo or with friends, and you drop into the Warzone maps, and you have missions to accomplish. Um, oh, I know what you mean. The yeah. map itself is kind of covered with uh, bots, like, you know, just random enemy AI, mm. but there are also players in there as well, and you have to get in, do your missions, get some loot, and then extract on some of the helicopters that are around the map, and you have cool. a certain amount of time, and those extraction points start to disappear the longer you're in. So the, it's kind of like a risk-reward thing where you're trying to get as much loot as possible, mm. which means staying in the zone as much as possible possible, but then when you're just lingering around, the chances of you encountering another player who might kill you and steal your loot is high. And like, uh, it, there's a risk reward sense of gameplay that you can lose your weapons if you get killed and you don't exfil with them. And I've always kind of liked the idea of it, but never played it myself. But jumping in and playing a good few hours of it yesterday on the new map with mm-hmm. some friends was like really, really fun. The missions were pretty damn solid. Like fighting AI is way more fun than I ever expected it to be. I'm yep, usually yep, yep, a yep. PvP guy. In that element of PvP within that space, you know, like I said, coming up against another team that's driving by and pezzling them with, you know, (laughs) RPK fire felt really good. I know it's by far not the first game to do this. You know, even Battlefield 2042 had Hazard Zone, which was another take in it. Obviously, Tarkov is out there, all of these great games. Mm. Uh, But like Call of Duty does, it kind of takes an established idea, whether that be some kind of extraction-based thing, or whether it be Battle Royale, and Mm. give it that kind of Call of Duty polish, which is satisfying. That whole idea of injecting AI into like regular skirmishes, I remember in Titanfall 2's uh, bounty hunt mode, where it's yes. like you were just going out shooting. You could shoot other players, but you could also shoot AI and get different amounts of um, currency, and then you would go back to your place and bank it. I wonder if that's what The Last of Us factions will do, oh, because that. you have maybe like you know, human players against each other, but and every now and then just like clickers and all the ho- the infected all just in- infect the map. And it's like that idea. I just love that dynamic. I think that's a really cool thing to do that hardly any games do much with. Yeah. And um, because it's quite hard to sync up all the AI paths between all the different players and everything. But assumedly, with the new tech that we have on offer, you could do more things like that. This is it. I know it might be sacrilegious to say that you want a Last of Us Battle Royale or a Last of Us Tarkov. <laughs> They're probably going to get one anyway. But I really do, man. I think there's like, you can do story-based stuff within that map. Like, you, the missions you take might have like environmental storytelling or mm. you might be meeting characters or whatnot. But it's perfect because, like you said, you know, you have the map populated by infected, Mm. and then the other humans you come across are real-life humans trying to steal your gear, trying to kill you. Maybe you can work with them, maybe you can't. I just think that's a neat idea. Yeah, if someone's, like, hunkered down in, like, a diner somewhere, but they've got the best loot, and they've got a horde of uh, infected around them, and you've got to find a way in there to take them out as they're trying to escape. Yeah, there's lots of really cool scenarios that could come out of that. Well, it's kind of like what DayZ promised years ago. And it's, it's a kind of, again, you could do essentially the Call of Duty model of taking something that has been established that people like, Mm. but giving it, you know, the Call of Duty polish. In this case, it would be the Naughty Dog polish, you know, (laughs) which I absolutely would love to see given to some of these game modes that are maybe a little bit more indie, maybe Mm. a little bit more underdeveloped just because they don't have Sony's resources, you know? Yeah, because even like, I always loved those scenes in The Last of Us Left Behind when you could unleash the infected on people. You could throw like a distraction item and someone will run in or whatever. They didn't really do that much of that in 2 either. Like it's as like a signature idea attached 
attached to The Last of Us. They've not really fleshed it out. But I like the idea of, like I said, like AI injected into multiplayer spaces. I don't think I want a battle royale. I would rather have a <laughs> PvP, like on a large enough map, kind of like the factions maps or the, uh, the multiplayer maps in the original Last of Us, but just with random infected people stumbling in where you're using the listen mode. You don't realize you're actually listening to an infected and then yeah. you get stuck in the middle of it or something like that. Um, more things can be done. I was thinking in regards to first person stuff as well. This year, I think we're getting that um, make it to the finals or just the finals or whatever that game's called. Yes, from the I've X Battlefield that. devs, mm-hmm. um, where that thing's sort of like new signature thing is like all our environmental destruction. And if you need to get up to a player or you need to take someone out, you just blow away the foundations of the building they're in and just watch them all fall down. That thing seems really promising, although we've not seen that much of it yet. No, but I would love that because if there is one thing that Battlefield in its current form is lacking, it is the focus on mm. destruction. There is still a tragic lack of that in 2042. Mm-hmm. So it first-person multiplayer shooter based more around that like this franchise used to be. That is nectar, if they get it right to me. Because <laughs> you, you sent me a, a little clip of a, it was like a rocket, like blowing up the side of a building in Battlefield, but then yes. once all the dust's cleared, it's largely the same building again. It does look incredible, yeah. like to a point, so they can capitalize on things like that. Uh, it will be cool. I didn't say about 10 years ago when we started this podcast that this is the wind-up where we go over the latest <laughs> video games, the latest talking points in the industry. I'm Scott Tailford. That's Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Tailford. And so we'll go into the news. Um, not that many things doing the rounds right now, but we do have a handful. One is some cancelled Dead Rising 5 footage um, from Capcom Vancouver. It's the project was uh, shut down in 2018. The game was cancelled, but this was going to be set in Mexico, and it did look to star Dead Rising 2's Chuck Green. Um, also over on Twitter where this was shared, um, Did You Know Gaming's Liam Robertson tweeted that the game was similar to Uncharted at one point, mm. um, and then it moved into more of a Dark Souls mold. So I don't know exactly where the um, the gameplay clips are being leaked from, but the combat model in here is like kind of just like a standard third-person, almost isometric camera angle as you take on various enemies with combos and stuff. Um, Dead Rising, I don't know, man. Like I love Dead Rising 1. Yes. 2 was actually the one where I fell off. A lot of people love 2, um, ah. but I really like Frank West, and then I didn't get 3 because it was Xbox exclusive I didn't have an Xbox at the time and then when 4 came out it was like this horrible banter version where he's t- Frank's back but he's taking selfies and stuff and so for me it was only really Dead Rising 1 that I absolutely adored but yeah. I don't know if that's the same for most people I, I liked 1 and 2 so mm. it makes sense that after they bought brought Frank back for 4 they would bring Chuck back for 5 <laughs> if they were going to make that you know what mm. I mean but like you said there 4 even though I didn't play it mm. I was put off by the responses to Frank returning yep. saying like it didn't really even feel like the character the franchise had moved so far away from itself that it didn't even really feel like Dead Rising anymore mm. and I got that sense in 3 as well you know yeah, totally. the more yeah. that franchise went on the more it lacked or lost it's more idiosyncratic more definable elements, even stuff like the timer, which, you know, mm. I hated as a kid, but came to really appreciate as an adult <laughs> uh, in how the games are structured. You know, a lot of people slagged off those early games as just being, you know, mindless zombie mashing fun. Mm. And it was to an extent, but there was at least purpose there. I was going to say, way more like tactile. Yeah, way yeah. more tactile. And by the time you did get to three and four, and it was getting more outlandish with the weapons, mm. it kind of like did lose that, um, gr- not groundedness, but that tactility, that um, sense of dread and mm. danger and even though they were always silly there was stress and there was tension tied to the first two games with the timer mm. with the how powerful the enemies were how you needed to navigate the map in order to reach certain characters or they would just be dead for good mm. or you know engage with certain missions or they would be gone for good so while the combat itself was always silly mm. you had that extra element that kept you engaged in a way that the later games uh, by all accounts didn't quite I wonder if that's just the natural... It's weird how many times this progression happens with zombie media. Like, you start out with the, the threats, like, oh my god, how are we going to survive? And then, like, The Walking Dead, over time, they're completely comfortable with the amount of zombies that are there. We can take care of them, we can cut them up, it's fine. And then, like, same with Dead Rising. The original one, like you said, even the first two. I remember when two started with the, the motorbike sequence with the chainsaws on the uh, on the bike, and it was just like it was just like a spectacle. And I was yeah. like, oh, that doesn't click with me, because even in Dead Rising 1, um, as much as you can, you know, batter them with ridiculous weapons and take their photos and stuff, it was still a threat like I mean one of the big selling points of that game was the amount of zombies on screen and so for me the more you move away from that the more it breaks the genre like I'm not for me I'm not going to play a zombie game that takes the zombies lightly loads mm. of people love that stuff um, and just blowing them up and whatever but to me that makes them cannon fodder and that makes them not a threat and then I don't I'm just like wading through mush at some yeah. point and so like yeah it's interesting the trajectory of the IP because by the time you go to Dead Rising 4 it was taking selfies with zombies yeah. like it was just this full on they don't matter to Frank whatsoever that's it right like you said in Dead Rising 1 yeah 
where you can put, you know, a, a toy helmet on a zombie in front of you. <laughs> but there was always the danger that even though there are so many zombies, if you made a mistake and you got caught with just one, yeah. that zombie would grab you, it would bite you, it would take a big chunk of health off you. Like You even, wouldn't do that at the start either. Like, that no, was, you know, you were building up to it. Exactly. Even one zombie in that game could be dangerous mm. if you let your guard down. Kind of like one enemy in Dark Souls could be dangerous if you let your guard down. You know, you get might get comfortable with them, but they're still a threat. And yeah, like you say, when, you, when it just becomes the point of, when it gets to the point of there's no real threat, you can mm. just mash through all of them, then it does become that kind of mindless, well, why do I care? <laughs> and it's a shame. You know, I would have mm. liked to have seen Dead Rising continue, but it's kind of, for me, almost like Splinter Cell, where Dead Rising today wouldn't be the Dead Rising that I want. They no, wouldn't totally. do yeah. the stuff that made it so iconic to begin with. They mm-hmm. would move away from that and smooth out the edges, and that to me is a shame, but mm-hmm. maybe this is... It obviously sucks that the studio itself got, got shut down, mm-hmm. but maybe this is a franchise that we don't necessarily need to revive. No, I feel like if you were going to sort of lay out Dead Rising on a table and sort of think about the different elements that made that up, I wouldn't steer into the more lighthearted, crazy weapon stuff. I would still have that in there, but I would make a way more hardcore survival game Mm. where it's a really big deal that you were able to assemble one of those weapons and then you get the relief of being able to take out like 20 of them in one go, but they're so few and far between because you're just barely crafting things together um, to get by or whatever. Um, Like you said, there's almost you kind of forget about it because the IP's reputation is so wacky and ridiculous yeah. but that first game was hard to get through like it had a lot of difficulty parts to it lots of spread out checkpoints like it was a big deal when you got jumped by all the convicts in the van yes in the jeep rather when you were in between uh, different buildings and it's like that level of threat or genuine like am i even gonna make it through they didn't carry that forward that's it, it like it told the line between a really interesting juxtaposition where you had, you know, a vir- a zombie virus carried by bees and wasps, <laughs> and you had, you know, chainsaw-wielding, clown-outfit-wearing psychos, oh, as the game called them. Uh-huh. You had all of this crazy stuff, but like we were talking about there, the mechanics. The mechanics grounded it. The mechanics made the tension real. It felt mm. like an actual survival horror game as much as it did a straight-up action game. Yeah, and it's like if you contrast like Resident Evil, like like future Resident Evils obviously got more ridiculous over time, but they rarely start you off with that level of comfort you have with those levels by the end of that game, or that level of comfort that you have with a certain set of enemies. Whereas like yeah, more recent Dead Risings were just go do ridiculous stuff, go take out ten of them at once or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just fascinating. I think them attempting to do a Dead Rising Five. Like I said, it was cancelled back in twenty eighteen. Um, I would hope the IP just rests at this point. I don't think you need to reboot it at all. Um, I would rather see from the makers of Dead Rising than whatever they do going forward. Um, speaking of things that probably won't be going forward, um, Saints Row um, from last year, 2021, has underperformed expectations, um, according to a write-up over on PlayStation Lifestyle um, from the Embracer Group. Um, and they said the future of the IP is uncertain. That was the wording from PlayStation Lifestyle, but the overall vibe of that story is it came in well under what it should have done, um, which we could have seen coming. Yes. Very clearly. We really could have. <laughs> and you know what? There's almost little to say about Saints Row mm. at this point. It came and went. Nobody liked it. It no. didn't appeal to longtime fans. It didn't get in new fans like me who wanted to give it a try and uh. hopefully be wowed by it. But the level of writing wasn't there. The gameplay itself felt incredibly dated. It looked bad for a next-gen yeah. game with about six different graphical options. <laughs> it just sort of failed on every count and Mm -hmm. it just feels like we've moved on from Saints Row in that form like that style of gameplay there could be a place for it but not with that level of budget not with that level of expectation on return like it would have to be a smaller more budgeted title experience for my money it's a weird like wider conversation because like across the 2000s you had so many crime sandbox games and obviously GTA was just was always the runaway leader but then now we don't have anything in that genre anymore like I the other day I was writing something about um, Sleeping Dogs and I was like oh my god I love Sleeping Dogs so much why is there not more sleeping dogs um, and it's one of those things where there are certain IP that people would welcome a return to but if you did sleeping dogs with a sort of new age quippy t- attempt at modern humor it would absolutely suck and so it's that thing of like they need to be able to stand on their own merits and it's like you don't need to steer into every in vogue you know media trend to get the wider audience in like you yeah. can't stand alone and people will come to you and it'll it'll work that way um, but yeah it just seems ridiculous that there's such a space to be filled um, because single player crime sandbox games just aren't a thing anymore and I get that they take a long time to bring together obviously any open world game or bigger game does um, but still it should have been an easy open goal it should and have they, just, they found some way to just to tie their, all of their own shoelaces together every single element of that game and then just 
hit the floor all at the same time. There's a real space in video games right now, I think, for genuine weirdness. And mm. all we get is corporate weirdness and corporate wackiness. What people think weirdness is, but it's actually <laughs> just really bland. We've we've seen True. it all before. Like the, the writing, and I don't want to keep going on about it, mm. but the writing in Saints Row was just that was terrible. It was terrible, and I liked some of the characters, but it was just it was felt like it was written by out of touch old executives <laughs> who like were trying desperately to grab at the zeitgeist right now mm. just didn't appeal to anyone and no. if it just had a little bit of soul a little bit of genuine weird reason to exist a reason to exist even if not everyone liked it it would have had it would have been so much more endearing in the Saints Row games even if I didn't like them used to be endearing yeah. in a way that it just this one wasn't at all yeah it was like even if over time the the level the humor wasn't for you especially Saints Row 3 is where they really stayed into it even though 2 was going in that direction anyway if that like, I love Saints 3 it's one of my favorite games of all time but if you're like that's the thing if you weren't on board with it at least you could tell a group of people were caring about what they were making it yeah. didn't feel like it was a mandate passed down from a studio a studio executive or something whereas last year's Saints felt entirely like that it was like this is what the kids like irreverence right like, it, just, it just didn't land whatsoever so I'm not surprised um, that it didn't take off over it did, I'm sure it got very near the top of the UK box charts uh, right. last year, but I think people are just clamoring for an open world sandbox game. Um, but it just it wasn't recommendable. It wasn't something that you could have a word of mouth, um, you know, get some momentum going or whatever. Well, that was it. Yeah. Even if we take the writing and the tone out of it, you know, like the core game itself mm. wasn't fun. Like I said, no. you know, the shoot mechanics weren't all that. The the missions themselves of the, the, the first five hours <laughs> or so that I played weren't sparking any real kind of like creative drive or any real interest. And it's mm -hmm. like, as a founder, Foundation, it just wasn't there. Never mind no. adding in the characterization of the jokes on top of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'll be I'll be amazed if they go back to this well again. I, I think that it was such a like I said before, it's like such a point in time when the genre was, um, you know, was the thing. And I think if you're going to do an open world sandbox game now, it needs to have an identity. It's why I think of Sleeping Dogs. I think you could release 2013 Sleeping Dogs now, and it yeah. would still be received extremely well because that game is phenomenal. Um, and we never got the sequel to that. Um, the next bit, uh, bit of news down is some gameplay from um, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, um, which is just over on IGN they're doing an IGN first thing where they just shut off a whole bunch of lightsaber combat um, and it's just worth talking about that stuff because that game feels like it's not this like oh my god the sequel to this game thing it's just like almost like a foregone conclusion if you're getting more Star Wars you're getting more of that gameplay model but the stuff that they're showing off like does look awesome like yes. the amount of really cool animations cool finishes um, picking very much picking up from the end of Fallen Order in regards to how many enemies they're throwing at you at once and asking you to do all these different acrobatic moves and finishes and stuff I'm so there for that yeah. I'm so there for a game that just revels in lightsaber combat I feel like we've never really had one no, like where you really have to learn the, the mastery of the um, the weapon itself like you always have to you have built some pieces of force powers but one of the coolest things about Fallen Order was that you had a tiny amount of force powers yeah. everything else was all about counters and, and whatever so I'm super up for this me too man I think a few weeks ago I might have mentioned that the initial gameplay that we saw of the game was not underwhelming, yeah, but I thought yeah. it looked maybe a tad clunky, and I was wondering how they were going to develop it. But from this couple-minute clip, mm. I just thought the lightsaber combat had so much flair to it. Like you said, picking up from where the last game left off, and you've got, you know, you can use a single lightsaber, you can dual-wield a lightsaber, you can have the double-bladed <laughs> lightsaber, you've got um, even Kylo Ren's kind of, like, fractured... Uh, I love that thing. What would you even call it? A cross-guard lightsaber in yeah, there as yeah, well yeah. with these big hits. It just looked... The animations were gorgeous, the impact felt like it was there. And of course, you've got the dismemberment in there now for the stormtroopers themselves. <laughs> so you could be chopping off limbs in classic Star Wars fashion. Mm -hmm. I was really impressed. I thought it looked great. Same. I think, yeah, I think that's the thing. Is like everyone expected Fallen Order to just be the game where you could let loose with force powers and lightsabers and stuff. And it, it wasn't really that. It was that in the last level. But I feel like this, because it's a middle installment, this is like all the stuff, that, all the lessons you learned in the first one, just let loose and just go have fun cutting up seven different stormtroopers at once. And um, that thing about Kylo's lightsaber, just to be a pinnacle some some B to me I'm like how does that exist at this point in the timeline right because the whole point of Kylo's lightsaber was that he couldn't get his kyber crystal to be smoothed over I always loved that's like the best thing in that whole trilogy to me is that Kylo was his lightsaber he was fractured he was going in multiple directions he wasn't smoothed over he just had this like broken kyber crystal that had so much energy coming out of it that he had to put two different vents on either side of it yeah. and that was how he ended up with this weird like malformed version of a lightsaber I always loved that and now they've predated it and gone like no that was an actual model that existed before and yeah. Cal had one as well even though he wouldn't have one. Maybe maybe this is just entirely headcanon <laughs> sort of thinking. Maybe Cal just happened to you know stumble across the same solution because if you remember yeah. you know originally his lightsaber in the first one is kind of broken you don't have the, the second half of it you know it's kind of smashed in. Yeah. Maybe that causes a malfunction. 
that he needs to add the little cross guard on to let <laughs> the little energy out, and then he just sort of happens to stumble on the same thing. They're not going to explain it like that, but that's my head. What if Kylo's in this game? He'd be a kid Ooh, at this point. He would. He'd be very, I mean, he's not going to be super angry making lightsabers at like age three. Then again, this is five years after the last one, so I don't know how old Kylo would even be. Right now in the time. canon, in that point in the timeline, isn't he hanging out with the real Snoke? He's um, like, he's, he's being taught by Snoke and they're in the Jedi uh, temple, not the Jedi temple, but like Snoke's location. There was that whole series of comics they did. I'm not even going to pretend to know <sighs> vaguely the remember. exact year in which this game takes place. I just know it's five after the last one, which might put it in the yeah. ballpark, but it might, I might be completely I'm just off. curious. I'm just, yeah, that whole thing could make perfect sense. I yeah. just, that was one thing that I picked out and I was like, I love that lightsaber design so much, but I also love how much it's attached to Kylo. And like I said, like Kylo for me is the only good thing in that old trilogy. So I was like, it's interesting connoting that and putting that in the early footage and making people have these conversations of like, how does he have that? Yeah. Um, and why is it in there when it was so uh, attached to uh, Kylo overall? Um, final thing is that Layers of Fears oh my God. has changed its name. Now, a lot of people thought Layers of Fears was um, the next game in the series. It's more of a reboot. It's like, they're calling it a reimagining. Um, it's now just called Layers of Fear again. It's not called again, but it's called Layers of Fear. They might as well do it. It would make more sense. I don't know what this is again. anymore. This It's like, a, so they, they've said it's a reimagining. Um, it's coming out in June. Um, it's a reimagining of the first and second games, all the DLC all remade in Unreal Engine 5 and they're aiming to make things feel fresh or whatever and they're fleshing out a character called the writer as well so I don't know what the original plan was maybe it was always a remake but I think it must have been but yeah. I didn't yeah, I didn't necessarily get that impression no. from the first stuff that they released you know whoever's marketing or even making this game <laughs> has lost their head in my opinion because like, Dan Fortescue this is one of the most difficult things to sell people on because as someone who has played both layer, layers of fear 1 and 2 mm-hmm. I don't know why I would go out and buy this game yeah. it's really cool that they've redone those games within the Unreal Engine 5 but what are these new things that they've added I know they're going to add a new chapter mm-hmm. to that we haven't played before but how are they going to remix some of the story how are they deepening the lore how are they adding new scares like this game's coming out <laughs> in June and I need to see more because I like the other two games and like I said a horror game in an Unreal Engine 5 mm. yes sign me up but well, yeah. what is this project and what exactly have you changed and is it for new play- players or is it mm. for fans of the franchise already I just genuinely just, don't know it feels like it's so many crossed wires and I feel like a lot of people obviously laughed at the name because it just is that it's the same thing with uh, the Lords of the Fallen it was like the Lords of the Fallen yes. or the Suicide Squad or whatever that whole it feels like a bunch of people in various different mediums sat down and went guys all we need to do is change one letter yeah. one word one thing and we're right at the top of the Google search terms again so let's just do it and that's backfired every time and so obviously they've changed the name now but I feel like that still overshadowed what this project even was where it felt like a weird sequel thing that's cashing in on the name or whatever. Well, not cashing in, it's the same franchise, but attempting to just sort of carry on where the other one left off. And now they've like, ditched it. And the only way that you would know what this was is if you read the story about it, yeah. about what's happening with the, the vision of the game. But yeah, like you said, it's like the, the approach to marketing is just so messy. Um, which sucks because, I mean, I like I still really like Bloober Team. I think overall, like, I like a team that reaches for stuff. I know that overall people really don't like them. Um, but I quite like a small team going for stuff. And so it's not that I've loved a Bloober game other than um, the game I'm blanking on. Observer, one. I think you like. Is I it? love Observer. What's the one that's in two halves? The one with the... Oh, the, the medium. One. The medium. The medium. I reviewed that game and couldn't remember, but that game I thought had really cool ideas to it. And obviously they have the Sound Hill 2 remake coming up as well. And it just makes me curious, like how many different bites of things are you trying to bite off all at once? Yeah. Um, and then like maybe this was something else and now it's just been made into a reimagining because we just need to do that because we need to do Sound Hill 2. I mean, maybe it's just a kind of project to allow the team to get to grips with Unreal Engine 5, you know, yeah. do something they've already done before to understand the technology and then make an original game with it. Mm. I have no idea mm-hmm. if that was the intention, but that's how some remake projects have been approached in the past, like The Last of Us Remastered was yeah. a way for Naughty Dog to get to grips with the PlayStation 4 technology before they went all in on Uncharted 4 mm-hmm. in The Last of Us Part 2. Maybe it's a similar situation, but they've already done that with Observer, where they you know yeah. released a PlayStation 5 update of that, which was by all accounts incredibly oh, that, that version of that game is incredible. Yeah, but it's, it. it's, is, is, is this just what we're doing? Because admittedly, the first layers of fear especially is incredibly ropey to play now. <laughs> you know, it's incredibly dated from a technical standpoint you can tell they weren't working with many resources so the idea of that in Unreal Engine 5 is exciting but again it's, it's just the question of how, why is this being marketed this way and yeah. more importantly who is it for am I going to have to pay for this game again to get the exact same experience with more graphical fidelity mm. just a few years after it came out or are there going to be significant 
re-tweaks to the story, to the scares, to the level design, or anything like that. Hopefully, in my head, it'll be like Pathologic 2, and I'm so pleased Ah. I've managed to crowbar Pathologic into this (laughs) podcast yet again, because that, similarly, Uh. is almost a remake, but remix of the first game. Like, you're kind of going through initially, Mm. like, the exact same story beats, but there is a purpose to that, and it's kind of similar to Evil Dead 2 as well, where Evil Mm. Dead 2 essentially remakes the first movie within the first 15 minutes and then does something new. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be similar to that? Hopefully, that will be that would get me in, interested me, as someone who's already played these games. It makes you think of Dead Space as well, like the Dead Space remake is like most of what you remember with a few extra levels, a few different tweaks and things that really elevate it overall. Yeah. Layers of Fear um, should be known more for the game that remixes the geometry of the level around you while you're looking in a certain direction. Yes. It's like a technique that is in Jedi Fallen Order and in something like Titanfall 2. And I feel like Layers of Fear was one of the first examples of that and we don't cite it as that, where you're looking looking towards a certain thing, and all of a sudden the entire level is re-rendered behind you. It's such a cool idea, yeah. um, especially for a horror game. Um, so I guess we'll keep an eye on that, but it was just the amount of people laughing at layers of fears, which is weird now that they've said it's a combination of 1, 2 in the DLC. I wonder if just some marketing person was like, well, it's multiple layers of fear. Yeah, it's it sort works. Of, it's sort of layers of fears, and it would just put it out like that, um, and then it's massively backfired on them. Um, but overall, uh, this has been the wind-up. I've been Scott Tailford. That's been Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tailford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll catch you next week. Turn the big light off. I Bye. will. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.